Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Amos chapter 4, verses 6 to 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday, the Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. We've been in a series of lessons on what are called the hard sayings of the Old Testament. Last week, we considered God's anger and his wrath. We discovered the key to understanding God's anger is to understand his hatred for sin and the separation sin causes between God and the people he loves. This week, we're going to look at the question, why does God allow people to suffer? When we consider that question, we must recognize that there are multiple ways suffering can come into the human experience. There's a reality that because we live this side of the fall of Adam and Eve, where sin has brought death and destruction, all humanity experienced suffering at some point in their lives. Death affects all lives. And until the second coming of Christ, death is the prescribed end to every person who is born. Disease and sickness are no respecter of persons. All are susceptible. Car accidents happen to the just and the unjust, the guilty and the innocent. Famines, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes ravage the land and everyone suffers. With that general reality that suffering comes to all humanity, today we will look at two passages of scripture that describe two different scenarios of the suffering of God's people. The first one that teaches us that suffering can come as judgment from God on a rebellious people. But there's a purpose for that suffering we'll look at as well. Second, suffering can come simply because we follow Jesus and carry his name. What can we learn about suffering, about the way of God, and about the purposes of God through these two examples? Let's begin in the Old Testament book of Amos. Amos was a 8th century BC prophet in the land of Israel. He would have been prophesying around 750 BC. He wasn't the first to hold the title of prophet in Israel. Before him were Nathan and Gad, Abijah, Elijah, Elisha, and Micaiah. Amos, however, is unique in two specific ways. First, he was likely the first prophet to have a biblical book comprised primarily of the prophet's message. Second, Amos was born in Judah, the southern kingdom, but he prophesied in Israel, the northern kingdom. Amos, according to Amos chapter 1, verse 1, was born in the city of Tekoa. It's a town about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Before his call to be a prophet, he was a shepherd, likely breeding and caring for sheep. And possibly because of the close proximity to Jerusalem, 
Amos cared for the sheep to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. We also learn that Amos cared for sycamore trees, according to Amos chapter 7, verse 14, which probably meant that he cared for the trees as they matured, and he gathered figs produced by the trees. Amos spoke his prophetic word from the town of Bethel in the northern kingdom of Israel. Imagine what it would have been like for Amos, a foreigner proclaiming judgment on a nation not his own. Northern authorities, kings, priests, and prophets would certainly have viewed Amos as a foreign conspirator who was attempting to stir up trouble against King Jer Jer Jeroboam II of Israel. Jeroboam II was the king of Israel for four decades. That's 40 years. Such a lengthy, peaceful, and prosperous reign of a single king was unparalleled in the northern kingdom. During his reign, Israel experienced some of the greatest wealth and power in the nation's history. When Israel reached its height of power and wealth under Jeroboam II, however, there became a sense of self-security and pride, particularly among the powerful leaders of Israel. The worship of Baal, after having been stopped and destroyed by King Jehu, reemerged with, with vigor and vitality. Social, political, economic, and religious abuses became the norm. Into this setting, God called Amos to speak truth to the powers that were. The prophecy was for the suffering from God for Israel, but the suffering had a purpose. With that, back, with that backdrop, let's look at Amos chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. Amos chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. God is speaking here. He says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because 
I will do this to you, Israel. Prepare to meet your God. God had promised through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, some 600 years before Amos lived, that if the people violated the commandments of the covenant between God and Israel, calamity would come. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 38 to 42 says this, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little. Because locusts will devour it, you will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the vine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. And then Deuteronomy 28 verses 45 to 48 makes it clear. Here's what it says. All these curses will come on you. They will pr pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. These promises of Moses are fulfilled 600 years later in the time of Amos. The first three calamities of Amos chapter 4 are agricultural. First, there was famine in verse 6. God has given the people empty stomachs, it says. The direct translation of verse 6 says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. In other words, there is no food between your teeth. You had empty stomachs. There was no bread. Wheat and barley grains were the people's main staple for food in Israel. Without these grains, the people would not have had enough to eat. Second, there was a drought, verses 7 and 8. The reason for the famine was because God had withheld the rain three months before the harvest. The winter rains, October to February, were typically the heaviest rains of the year and were vital for the barley and wheat harvest that began in late April and early May. It appears from our passage that God sent rain on some towns and not on others. By human reasoning, it appears no rhyme or reason for such arbitrary weather patterns, but God was in control. God had chosen where to send rain and where not to send rain. A deeper message that uh, was there that it was not the so-called God named Baal who controlled the rain, as the Canaanites and the Phoenicians believed, but the sovereign God of Israel controlled the rain. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 22 says, do not uh, do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, Lord, our God, 
Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. Without water, everything and everyone dies. Many Israelites were approaching death from their thirst. Because the springs and the wells of some towns were completely dry, citizens from one town would be forced to walk to neighboring towns to find drinking water. The situation was desperate. Last, there was pestilence, verse 9. God had sent plant diseases such as mildew to destroy the garden vegetables and grapes in the Israelite vineyards. He also sent locusts to destroy the Israelites' figs and olive trees. Remember, Amos knew about figs as he cared for sycamore trees. Throughout Israel, the people ate figs daily, both fresh and dry. They pressed dried fig figs into blocks, storing them away for winter eating. Olives touched every aspect of Israelite life. They ate olives. They used olive oil for as a food source, cooked with it, burned it in their lamps, used it in sacrificial offerings, applied it as an ointment to wounds for healing, and anointed kings and priests for service with olive oil. Beyond these agricultural issues of famine, drought, and pestilence, there were military campaigns in the 8th century BC as well. According to Amos chapter 4, verse 10, God brought the sword. God killed young men with the sword, it says. Make no doubt about it. It was God who had brought Israel's enemies against Israel. He helped Israel's enemies. In some cases, an enemy, an enemy's destruction of a captured town was so thorough, the town's appearance could be compared with that of Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Amos chapter 4, verse 11. Throughout this obvious and multiplied disaster, agricultural and military, Israel's response was the same. They did not return to God. Amos repeated this statement five times in these short number of verses. Yet you have not returned to me. Verse 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11. A large percentage of pains we experience are and always have been the result of our and others' sin, ignorance, sloth, and carelessness. God has declared that suffering would come if we break covenant with him. He has let men and women go their own way in free will. Suffering, therefore, is a natural consequence of our sinful behavior and or the sinful behavior of others. Despite the circumstances we're facing, God can and does use even suffering to shout to us, in an attempt to draw us back to God's own self to redeem and to restore us. Will we listen and return to God in repentance and faith? There is grace and restoration if we do. Sometimes, as we've seen in Amos, our suffering is due to sin. God's desire is that our suffering will in some way awaken us to our need to return to him. But sometimes, as we will see in 1 Peter chapter 4 in the New Testament, our suffering can be brought 
by the world simply because we follow Jesus. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his glory when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter was writing his letter to Christians scattered throughout several Roman provinces, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. These Christians, who in their former life knew nothing of God's will, now had become a part of God's chosen people. Their new walk with Christ surprised their friends from the past. The reaction of their friends would not be a welcome surprise, but instead would be an angry surprise. History demonstrated that these early Christians received abuse, slander, harassment, and discrimination simply for being a Christian, for carrying that name. Some had been imprisoned, and some were even martyred. Having put their faith in Jesus and no longer doing what the pagans chose to do, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, these Gentile converts had become a cultural minority. What would Peter counsel be for them in such a situation? His first instruction was to rejoice. Rejoice in suffering, he says. We find these words in other places throughout the New Testament as well. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, said this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said that we're, we are blessed when, when others insult and persecute us because of association with him. Such a blessing of persecution is a sign 
that God's spirit is visible in our lives. We should not be surprised by this as if something strange were happening. An important part of Peter's answer to the question of unjust suffering is that Christ suffered. So we should not expect to escape suffering along with him. Rather, we should endure and take joy in our suffering because it shows that we belong to Jesus. We should also remember that suffering with Christ will have its ultimate reward. Peter suggested that God is already bringing time to an end. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says that God's judgment, his final judgment, is beginning now with God's household. That could mean that some Christians under persecution will not obey the demands of the gospel of God, and those Christians will receive the first judgment. It could also simply mean that the world's judgment on believers actually ushers in the judgment that's to come by Christ to this world. In the end, the Roman Christians' suffering signaled the beginning of the final judgment. We are assured that a time is coming when Christ's glory is revealed, verse 13, and that the spirit of glory is resting on you, verse 14. Remember, the glory of Christ was his suffering. In the same way, his glory that rests on us is our suffering for him. C.S. Lewis reminded believers that glory is being and or doing what we're supposed to be or do. We've been designed to follow Jesus for the sake of others. Christ's generosity is that as we now share in his sufferings, he will also share, allow us to share in his glory. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let us endure with joy the fire we find ourselves in today, knowing full well that we are suffering like our Savior suffered. Will he find you and me faithful in the end? Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.